Welcome back as we head into hour three of our daily three-hour tour. It's a privilege to welcome back local attorney Alexander Culloden, president of the Culloden Law Group, K-O-L-O-D-I-N. Case a lot of you probably uh, are aware of, if not cheering for. I'm sorry it had to be done. I'm glad Alex is doing it. Representing a teacher, public school teacher in the Phoenix Union High School District. The teacher is Douglas Hester. He's a science teacher. And let me just give you the headline. A teacher in the Phoenix Union High School District has filed a lawsuit in Maricopa County Superior Court asking for a temporary restraining order against the Phoenix Union High School District after it decided to ignore Arizona law and impose a mask mandate. Short, Long story short, Phoenix Union High School is requiring masks on everyone. A teacher is suing. His attorney is Alexander. Alexander, thanks for taking that case. Thanks for talking with us about it. Well, thanks for having me on, Seth. Thank you. Tell me the... Uh, Tell me, first of all, what the state of the law is and why your client thinks he has a case. So the state of the law is, obviously, uh, all of the COVID restrictions have been a major issue uh, this past legislative session that's just concluded. Uh, And as a result of the legislature listening uh, to the will of the people and what was most important to them, the state legislature enacted uh, several new laws that limit the ability of various government and private organizations to impose these sorts of restrictions. And one of those laws is uh, 15-342.05. Uh, and what that law says, right on its face, there's no legal interpretation needed, is school districts cannot impose mask mandates on students or teachers. Right? So exactly... On all fours, as we like to say in law, what the Phoenix Union High School District has done. Let me just reiterate and underscore that point. The law in the state of Arizona could not be clearer. Arizona revised statutes, section 15342.05. It's pretty clear. A school district, or charter may not require a student or teacher to receive a vaccine for COVID-19 or to wear a face covering to participate in in in-person instruction. Do we need to have remedial English taught to the administrators at Phoenix Union? Well, you know, I I suppose so. Uh, They, even when they were questioned about this on Friday and, and people asked them, how is this possibly lawful? You know, the best they could come up with was, well, we've decided to follow the CDC instead of the Arizona State Legislature. But I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. We live in a republic, and the laws that our elected representatives pass should not be dead letter, right? Right. They they need to have effect. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, beyond them needing to have effect, all of this health, all all of these issues having to do with health, having to do with even if you wanted to add policing, these are traditionally state issues. These are areas the federal government has never really wandered into, at least not in a constitutional direction, correct? That is correct, but they are starting to wander into just that area. Mm -hmm. And, And that's only partially correct, too, right? The federal government has has over the years taken control of things 
like uh, like regulating uh, drugs and devices, right, and establishing courts for claims related to those sorts of things, right? Some of it has been federalized, but the exercise of what in law we call the police power, right, right the ability of the state to force you to do things, that has always been reserved to the state legislatures. What is the response of Phoenix Union and the administrators? Are they going to say, yeah, you're right, we saw, we saw that statute, now that you pointed it out, we'll relax a little bit? No, uh, not not at all. They went and hired about the highest dollar law firm uh, in the state of Arizona. They, oh wait, I'm paying a law hired. firm with my tax dollars. You you, you are. I'm paying the uh, high. I'm paying. I'm paying. I'm paying thousand dollar an hour rates with my tax dollars to defend a mask and vaccine policy. I, I think the government gets a discount. The rates are probably more like five hundred bucks. Okay. An hour, all you right. Know? All right. Uh, that so, makes me feel yeah. a little better. I'll 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 do a discount when I do my state and local taxes. To be commensurate, we'll see <laughs> exactly, how well that works. Exactly okay. right. <laughs> go on, go and, on. And on their legal team, they have put, you know, the former uh, solicitor general of the state of Arizona, Mary o- O'Grady. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is clear that this is where they intend to make their stand, uh, and that they intend to argue that this law, in whole or in part, is unconstitutional. Alex, what could possibly make it unconstitutional outside of some new trend in the conflict of laws that I'm not familiar with? What could possibly be unconstitutional about the state legislature protecting the children's mental and social health this way? Well, we know at least one of the arguments okay. that they're going to raise okay. is that is that the, legis- the legislature was not allowed to make this bill uh, effective immediately under the Arizona Constitution. Uh, so they'll say, as probably an argument in the alternative, because I'm sure they've got something better up their sleeve to argue that the whole darn thing should be thrown out, but they're at least going to say the legislature had no right to make it effective when they did. Mm-hmm. But that's really a decision for the legislature. Isn't that something courts typically defer to as a political question? Well, sure. The the entire exactly right. Uh, although I always say conservatives, we're held to a little bit higher. No, I, I get that. We're always uh, we're always the away team. I get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we, we kind of are, but you, you know, the entire idea that the government can force you to participate in uh, pandemic mitigation measures is, is 120 years old, mm-hmm. and at the very foundation of that idea, the very reason they can do that constitutionally, right, is the idea that the legislature is the best place for these decisions to be made, and therefore it's right and just and proper for the legislature to have the power to make them. If you take that away, the entire foundation of the state's ability to regulate these sorts of things constitutionally falls away. Yep. Yep. And that's the beginning of federal takeover. That's the beginning of a federal police force, is it not? I mean, why wouldn't it be? Right. I mean, the police powers are exactly what they say, even if it's not an officer uh, holding a badge and a gun. Uh, it's, it's always backed up by force when you start talking about the state's exercise of police powers. We're talking to uh, Alexander Kaladin. Alex is representing uh, a teacher Douglas Hester, science teacher um, here in Phoenix, who is suing the Phoenix Union High School District for their um, mandates that um, that children uh, must uh, vaccinate and mask to attend schools. I have that right, Alex? 
That's right. Or, or must must wear masks. Well, 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 must, must, must wear masks, masks irrespective of vaccination. That's the better way to put it. Irrespective of vaccination. Alex, is the, let me ask you to take your lawyer's hat off for a minute and just put on your political science or political theory hat for a second, if I can. Is there not a imbalance of interests here when one looks at the social and mental and physical health of children and the risks they face from COVID. This is the Phoenix Union High School District, after all. It's a district that was built for the students. The students aren't there for the school. The school is there for the students. Do we not have that a little bit backwards when we think about what the studies show masks can do to children's emotional and mental health? Well, you know, that's, that's exactly right. Um, as, as you know, you know, I'm not just a lawyer. I'm running for the state legislature. Uh, and I'm running for that because I believe that that is really the right place for the interest to be balanced, right? It's the most robust process for lawmaking where people can hear testimony and hear about the pros of math, yes, but the cons in terms of what they might do uh, to the social and learning environment in children, and that the, that the members of that body can balance those most carefully to make sure that the interests of Arizona children are be- being served as best as we can possibly serve them, right? And so you've got a committee process, you've got a four-vote process, you've got gubernatorial review, so that by the time something gets through, it has been looked at from every angle. And instead, here, instead of that robust democratic process here, you have a group of five or so democratic bigwigs ruling by fiat and thumbing their nose and saying, we can decide to do whatever we want to Phoenix's children. Well, that's exactly why uh, civil rights attorneys like you exist, Alex. Do you want to talk to the audience for a quick sec uh, on where they can go to learn more about your candidacy and why uh, other reasons you're running for for state office? Yeah, absolutely. So your listeners can go to www.alex4az.com, A-L-E-X-F-O-R-A-Z.com, to learn more about our candidacy, get involved, sign our petition, whatever they can do to help. Well, we'd certainly appreciate it. Great, Alex. I thank you. I thank you for your candidacy as well as taking up this lawsuit. Uh, it is it, it, the civil rights, never mind the social, mental, and health rights of our, general health rights of our children are at stake here. This will be the uh, probably most paid attention to case in the country on this. You're the right guy to take it on, as uh, I hope um, as I hope you'll communicate to uh, Doug and uh, all his uh, teacher friends who support him. He's not alone, and you're not alone, Alex. What we can do to help, you please let us know. Absolutely, Seth. And and on Doug, it takes one brave man. There there are not many of them. And if he hadn't stepped forward, I really don't know who would have, and this law would have gone completely unchallenged. Well, I hope he gets the Teacher of the Year Award. Um, Tending to know how these awards are handed out, we may have to create our own, Alex, but maybe you and I can work on that if we need to. Will you keep us updated on the steps of this case and uh, whether uh, you or or someone from your office, uh, Joanna, just keep me apprised. I want want to keep our audience uh, apprised at every step of this. Absolutely, Seth. Be, be my pleasure. You bet. And again, if people want to look at your candidacy for the state house, it's uh, alexforaz.com. That's A L E X F O R A Z 
com. Thanks for taking this up, Alex. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your time on this busy day for you. Thanks again, Seth. God bless you and Godspeed. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. This is kind of an interesting question Mike Cernovich put over on Twitter. I don't think I've ever asked it. I don't think I've ever contemplated it. <coughs> Excuse me. Has a book, and let's, let's exclude the Bible for a second because it's a different kind of book. Has a book ever changed your life? If so, what was that book? What a great question. Has a book ever changed your life? If so, what was that book? I know that answer for a few other people that are kind of interesting. <clears throat> I don't know if, I, if I've contemplated it for myself. Thinking out loud, uh, it's possible I could name a few, and I'm going to take a few minutes to think on it as we go through the show. But if any of you have one to recommend, that, that would be good to know. Has a book ever changed your life? <clears throat> if so, what was that book? All right. I don't know if many of you know the name Michael Osterholm. I happen to because I remember when I was living in Washington, D.C., this was one of the uh, few well-known, well-known in quotes because it's not a profession of well-knowns, one of the few well-known epidemiologists in the country he was um, over, still is, over at the University of Minnesota. He is uh, the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research at the University of Minnesota, the regent's professor, and uh, is an advisor to Joe Biden. He is part of the Joe Biden Coronavirus Task Force. Last year, he was the go-to for bookers at CNN or MSNBC or even even the uh, network news channels on NBC, CBS, ABC, all over the place, probably what they would consider the best get after Anthony Fauci. So if Anthony Fauci was unavailable, probably the second choice would have been Michael Osterholm. And he was highly invested in hand-rubbing, uh, excuse me, hand-wringing and um, panic porn. He was what you might call team virus. And with all the credentials, endowed professorship at the University of Minnesota in the news for a long time, probably a lot of LexisNexis links, so much so that, as I was saying, something like 10, 15 years ago, I was interviewing him uh, quite regularly with different strains of flus that were going around. I remember the avian flu, he was a guest. I remember when we went through a few other epidemics, he was a guest. Well-known guy. Well... Here he was this weekend. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to talk about N95 respirators, which would do a lot 
for both people who are not yet uh, vaccinated or not previously infected, protecting them, as well as keeping others who might become infected, having been vaccinated from, from breathing out the virus. You know, Take it from the top again. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. That's enough to follow the science, isn't it? He's on Joe Biden's coronavirus task force. He's a confirmed liberal of the New York Times, CNN, NBC, CBS, ABC, NBC circuit. And he now is tell this is why vanity fair has exposed and I, d- I don't like the magazine very much mostly because you know it's just so unbelievably leftist but when they report on their own team having problems it's worth paying attention to and they are saying that the biden administration is engaging in a messaging, well, their headline is something I can't even read, but I'll give it to you the best I can. The COVID Delta surge is creating a messaging, you know what? It begins with the word cluster. The subtitle, Biden's team is frustrated, while tensions have reportedly flared inside the administration over how best to communicate with the public. How about just doing what you said you would do, Dr. Biden? How about just doing what you said you would do? Follow the science. Why are there tensions flaring inside an administration on COVID mitigation if we're just following? Because it's turning out, as Biden and Kamala Harris are learning, that what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and that the science you've told us was black letter settled never, ever was. And the scientists you told us were irresponsible and not to listen to, not to be listened to, your Scott Atlases, if you will, you know, turning out they're having a better record of being right than your team. I'm wondering if those are the tensions that are flaring inside the administration. Is it possible someone said maybe it's time to bring Scott Atlas back? No, no. The Stanford faculty, you'll recall, already stood up in a unique once-in-a-lifetime situation for Stanford and denounced him ex-cathedra. No, no. The left was too interested in destroying careers of people who were being right and listening to everyone who was wrong. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I had asked a question earlier. Outside the Bible, has one book, a book, ever changed your life? Uh, it's an interesting question that was posed by Mark Cernovich on uh, Twitter, and I was just, it, that kind of thing really gets me thinking, and I wanted to throw it out to all you. Sue in Phoenix wanted to uh, answer that. Hi, Sue. Hi, there. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. Yourself? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Good. The book that 
I've read, that I have read over and over again, is called The Importance of Forgiveness by John and Carol Arnott. Fortunes of Forgiveness? The Importance of Forgiveness. The Importance of Forgiveness. What did you learn from it? I learned that when I am offended, the very best thing I can do for myself is to forgive the person that has offended me and to bless them, because then I walk in peace. Nice. Nice. Fantastic. When you read that, when, 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 when did you read that book? At what stage in your life? Um, I became a Christian 47 years ago. I read the book when I, in 1997, so I was maybe about halfway into my walk with the Lord. I'm 78 years old now, and it'll be 47 years on August 11th. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you, Sue. Yeah. Thank and you. And I have had the privilege of working with a lot of people that um, have had horrible things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't come overnight, as you know, but as you work with the people, they are finally able to forgive, and it releases their heart. Forgiveness so is a huge... Yeah, no, it's a huge happen. topic. It's a huge... It's, it's a huge thing, and... I, so much so, <clears throat> I think about it a lot. I put it. I, I do an annual on-air commencement speech for high school and college graduates, uh, gra- graduating seniors, and I always have a couple lines in there or quotes in there about the importance of forgiveness. You know, you think about you think about the Lord's Prayer, right? And we're ask, yeah. right. We're asking God to forgive us, and we say we will forgive others in our lives the way we want God to forgive us. Is there any human being walking the earth that does that? Hardly, probably. Very few. And yet, there it is. And it's something that we really, I think, need to think about a lot more. I I bet a lot more families would be a lot more intact if they abided by the Lord's Prayer. Exactly. One thing that I have ever heard for for forgiveness Yes. That's that's a great point. It releases us of the how did you put it? It releases us of the insidious sin done against done against us. It releases us from that. You just forgive it and take away all its power. Yeah. Yes. May I give a short example? Would it be okay? Please. Of of how of how this happened. I've worked with a lady that has been repeatedly raped by her father since she was 13 years old. She was impregnated by him. He forced her to have an abortion. She ran away from home and joined the carnival. That was her life. After about two years of working with her, she was able to forgive her father. Well, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh, wish after it was too late, they could have forgiven someone, you know, before they pass or before that someone passes. A lot of people wish that there was... I think so. Yeah, and the magic is you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait. Yes. It releases us because resentment, whether it's 
a lot of resentment is justified. She was justified in her resentment. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But what I have found, Sue, and I bet you'll agree with this, what I have found is those who are offended, and I'm often on that side of the line, sure, of course, we all are human and we are, those who are offended end up thinking, and don't forgive, end up thinking a lot more about the offense than the offending party does. So they're going on fine, skipping through the meadows, picking up forget-me-nots. And the offended, the offended person, the person who, you know, has the ability to give forgiveness, it's eating them inside and out. Let it go. Put yourself on par with the person who did this to you, right? Because they're not thinking about it. Give them a reason to think about it by forgiving them or give yourself a reason to release it and take away its power by forgiving them. Thank you, Sue. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. You just heard an ad for Cool Touch. I'll tell you one more. I use Cool Touch. My family uses Cool Touch. My friend use my friends use Cool Touch for all their air conditioning and plumbing needs. That's how good they are. So good that you'll want to use them and recommend them after you use them. You have to experience their customer service to know just how good it is. And they're there for you 24-7. Not only do they say it, trust me, I know it. I've had experience on weekends at 8 p.m. where I've needed the folks at Cool Touch, and there they came and solved the problem because problems don't just happen Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5. They also have a great new unit available that will do wonders for your power bill. It reduces the power surges needed. they are huge drags on your power when your air conditioning unit turns on and off to keep you at the temperature you set it at, they have a system that is as if it's got a dimmer switch on it, and it reduces all those surges, all those huge drags. So you get the most comfortable living environment with the biggest savings on your utility bills, and they're offering a $2,000 rebate on that system. If it's that system you're looking at or any other kind of new system, a repair, an inspection, a replacement, you got any problems with your air conditioning or plumbing, Call my friends at Cool Touch at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932. Or just visit them online at CoolTouchAC.com. That's CoolTouchAC.com. And tell them I sent you. Bob's in Phoenix answering uh, a few questions. Hi, Bob. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? Well, I'm still breathing. That's a good start. Yeah, I... One of the most influential books was when I was in about eighth grade, and I'm 70 years old. I believe it was eighth grade. was Animal Farm by George Orwell. Oh, right. Right, right, right. Now, why was and that was, so important to you? Well, it was of that era where we were all hiding under our desks and all that stuff, you know, from nuclear capabilities uh, beginning, you know, the Cold War. But... The references in it and the the slow disappearance on the side of the barn mm-hmm. of all your rights mm-hmm. and all the poor farm animals that didn't quite read and couldn't understand it, and then eventually you end up having uh, the pigs up in the farmhouse with Dobermans at the doorstep. Mm-hmm. Day. But what really made me think later was the fact that during the McCarthy era, when he was 
talking about the communists that was within of the actors and things. Um, that's when Reagan was actually the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh-huh. And he woke up, so to speak, and real because he was always kind of a Democrat, mm-hmm. and he always and he defended all of the uh, actors and directors. In in fact, he, he met his wife Nancy defending her. Yeah, and so that's why he, I think, got interested in uh, running for politics because he could see what was starting to happen and uh, how fast the ball was starting to roll. You know. The Democratic Party, he said, um, left me. I didn't leave it. And what's interesting about that line, which is um, fairly popular, Bob, is that I think there's a lot of people revisiting it now and thinking, you know, the reasons I was a Democrat, the reasons I was a Democrat are all the very reasons that and the very policies that exist in conservative concerns and movements right now. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of association, freedom to dissent, which we used to be told was patriotic. You know, all of these things, Bob, uh, government secrecy, opposition to government secrecy, all of these things reside within the conservative and no longer in the Democratic Party. No longer. The party really did leave not only its Democrats, the party left its common sense. Well, you know, the old days of you wish could be the three musketeers with D'Artagnan and all that jazz, it it almost puts you on the wrong side if you think in that direction. Um, By the left, you know. Yeah. their, Their terminology of all for one and one for all is group think, not not individual think. And yeah, we need each other to help each other from time to time. But they they yeah. have a real problem. The left they need to go outside and figure out their philosophy and come back in, because sometimes it's the collective in the name of any number of Marxists or neo-Marxists or fans of Karl Marx or trained Marxists, if you will, in the vernacular of BLM. You know, on the one hand, it's about the collective, but as an individual, they all do something very interesting and forget the um, the collective value of life or the collective importance of existence and have replaced common nouns and common pronouns with personal nouns and personal pronouns, so the truth becomes my truth. They need to go outside and figure this out again. Is their individual feeling and self superior to the collective, or is the collective so powerful it it should seize the individual rights of others who don't share their truth at this moment in time? They really really have created not so much— a Marxist, uh, a Marxist point of view as an anarchist's point of view. Well, you know, uh, even far back as Socrates, yep, used to try and tell everybody, you know, when they there is no such word as utopia. That's that's you know, so that's that false hope 
that all of the Democrats that I really, they're all about touch and feel and everything. And that doesn't mean the Republicans. We aren't. It's just that we're more pragmatic. You know, it, you have to get real about Absolutely. Absolutely. And the worst part of it, or the most pregnant part of that book, is the very end, where the distinction between animal and man, pigs, I think, if my memory serves, pigs and men, is completely dissolved. There's a lot to say about that point. It's certainly counter to Western philosophy, where the individual was to be seen as something above an animal and something below God, but equal with one another. Here they have animals and pig, like pigs and humans, you know, totally reversing, absolutely reversing that notion and turning us into something much like Nazi Germany, which, of course, George Orwell was writing about as he was the Russian Revolution in Animal Farm. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Uh, We covered a lot of ground. We'll cover a lot more tomorrow. If you're on hold, as a few of you are and didn't get through, please call me back tomorrow and we'll put you right at the top. I appreciate your patience. I'll just uh, close with this thought. I liked uh, what our last caller said about Animal Farm. Of the George Orwell works, I'm um, probably more of a fan of 1984. There was a big debate in political philosophy and theory and literacy circles about 20 years ago. What was the more prophetic book? What was the most prophetic book? Was it Brave New World, Huxley, or was it 1984, George Orwell? Who saw where we were going better? And it turned out for a big time in the 90s and early 2000s, or as my producer likes to say, in the 90s and in the early aughts, um, it looked like it was Huxley and how we were uh, how we were narking ourselves into oblivion, how we were becoming ourselves amoral, unfeeling automatons based on a product called Soma, but one could think of any other number of products today that act like it. I think it's 1984 again. I think when you look at the society we now participate in and the tyrannies we now have to fight against, probably no book more worth rereading today as an adult if you're in the mood to reread a book you read as a child than George Orwell's 1984. But when you read it, be warned. You will be frightened because it's hardly fiction. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed.